All right, everybody, welcome back to the Norwood Noise. Uh, we are here following the Sweet 16 in the Elite Eight games. We're going to get a deep dive in all the games. Looking forward to the NIT semifinals in New York City with the Xavier Musketeers taking on St. Bonaventure Tuesday night on ESPN. Um, you know, pretty eventful few days. Got a lot of really good games, a lot of good teams shaping up for a Blue Blood Final Four. Evan, are you ready to get into these games? How are you doing? Yeah, yes, please. Um, great weekend, obviously. My uh, my Jayhawks had a successful weekend. That was fun. Uh, my Xavier Musketeers are also in the Final Four, so I got two teams in the Final Four this year to some extent. Um, but yeah, welcome back uh, to all of our listeners. Monday, March 28th, episode 21. And uh, this will be kind of the final big one. Obviously, we'll recap um, the tournament as a whole and, and you know the Final Four National Championship next week on the pod as well as the NIT finals. Um, and then after that, there'll be, you know, we'll kind of break it down to monthly episodes and we'll get into the slow season. So definitely looking forward to kind of finishing with a bang here and, and closing things out the right way. Uh, but Graham, why don't you get us started with that first uh, night, Thursday, March 24th of those Sweet 16 matchups. What do we got? Uh, the first game we're going to talk about is the Arkansas-Gonzaga game. Um, First of all, you know, this Gonzaga team, you know, has been historically the last, I'd say, probably 15, 10 years has been, you know, that juggernaut team hailing from the West Coast Conference that no matter how many NBA players they are going to send, how experienced they are, how dominant they are in conference play, people still always, like, kind of shake their heads. And this year I thought maybe this would be a different year. I had Gonzaga going pretty far. Um, but this Arkansas team led by Musselman, really, really um, just took care of business. Uh, first half, you know, they you know, forced a lot of turnovers. Gonzaga had to work for all the points that they got. Um, and really, I was very interested to see, like, they had a real game plan for Chet Holmgren, which is something that we haven't seen where they attacked him. Not to say that Chet had a poor game, but it definitely felt that when Chet was involved defensively, Arkansas was getting the, the shots that they wanted. Um, they definitely, you know, looked inside a lot more than they usually do. You know, they still took 25 threes, but that's not where they got most of their points from. Um, uh, J.D. Notai was an unbelievable... He was ridiculous. Like, unbelievable game of just, like, being all over the place. He's been unbelievable for them this year. Um, taking 30 shots, he definitely knew that the time was now for them to step up and, uh, you know, make their own glory. It's the first time Arkansas has beat a one seed in um, school history. It was a very exciting game uh, for the Razorbacks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really un, uh, an unbelievable game plan from Musselman and the Razorbacks. Um, forcing Chet Holmgren to foul out uh, with like over, you know, I think it was like right about three or four minutes to go in the game. Um, so yeah, I mean, they just really came at him. Um, and I, I honestly was not um, all that surprised personally because I have no personal vendetta against Gonzaga, no personal hate or anything like that. I just think that, and even this year, I kind of proved myself wrong a little bit, you know, with how high I was on the WCC and saying that it was a really stacked conference this year. But at the same time, I still think you get lulled to sleep a little bit. Yes, Gonzaga stacks their schedule at the beginning of the season. There's no doubt about that. Um, but they kind of get lulled to sleep playing those, you know, slightly lousier, um, you know, Pepperdines and Loyola Marymounts and Pacifics and Portlands and San Diego's. No offense to any of those teams, but just you know, you when you have those kind of 30, 40 point blowouts, you you get out of form of playing really, really tough, muscular, athletic, you know, 
Division One all scholarship player teams. Um, and so, yeah, I think you get slapped in the face a little bit. Um, I was kind of hopeful, I guess, for Gonzaga's sake that uh, this slap in the face would come against Memphis and then they'd kind of get back in their rhythm. Um, but little did we know what Eric Musselman and the Razorbacks had, had coming for him that next round. So Sweet 16, obviously, Arkansas, a great win for them. Um, and Eric Musselman, I loved the post-game interview. You know, I just want to say thank you to everybody that doubted us, that hated on us all year, um, all that good stuff. I, I love to see those uh, inspired interviews and good to see, good for, good for Arkansas getting the win. Yeah, and I don't know how much you remember about this, but early on in the season, Arkansas was struggling a little bit once they got to SEC mm -hmm. play. Yeah, and we talked about, like, yeah, they have all the pieces to be good, like, what's going on? This is, like, supposed to be a huge year. You know, Bud Walton Arena sells out and all that stuff. So I'm really glad that Arkansas has pieced it together because the one thing I've seen the most about Arkansas, you know, making this run that many teams didn't see, um, many people didn't see them having, is that Musselman's really getting his respect. I think he's an unbelievable coach. I'll be interested to see what his future looks like if he, you know, stays in Arkansas or I could see him, you know, moving on, taking one of these uh, higher-up jobs. But regardless, he's done an unbelievable job, and I'm a huge fan of his. Um, coaching style and the energy he brings. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to the next game. Um, the first game in the South region of the evening, Michigan-Villanova, um, I think kind of went as expected. You know, the, this Michigan team did eventually kind of have to have their fall. Um, I don't think any real big surprises here. Um, kind of seeing that uh, wrap up as it did. But uh, yeah, Villanova, a solid game out of them. Um, led, of course, um, Excuse me. Led, of course, uh, by Jermaine Samuels. 22 points out of him. Uh, big night for him. Colin Gillespie, uh, Justin Moore also falling away with 15 and 12. Um, so, yeah, great night out of them. Um, Michigan looked a little rattled out of the start, not going to lie. Um, Hunter Dickinson didn't seem himself. He seemed to be getting bodied pretty good by uh, Dixon, which was, you know, impressive and, and definitely good to see, for, uh, you know, for Wildcats fans for sure because – Eric Dixon has to kind of establish himself early as the uh, the big man presence inside. So he did that against Michigan and really took away Hunter Dickinson um, and just kind of an arm's length game. That's what I like to call those. It's um, kind of what I like to call those games when Villanova can kind of keep teams just a little bit away from a mall game, um, not really let them get too close most of the game. Um, so yeah, I think they for the most part. Excuse me. Um, you know, help lead most of the game, and and we're really able to kind of take advantage um, of a of a little a slightly lesser uh, Michigan Wolverines team. Yeah, uh, you know, to add two things from this Villanova team that you know everyone is talking about is you know Jay Wright's unbelievable coach, and Colin Gillespie is just like that good. But two things that I've seen from this Villanova team like this season is you know Jermaine Samuels was not like that good this year you know when when you know the people were announced that they're going to be using their COVID years a big thing was like oh Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels are coming back right. but I I didn't think that Jermaine Samuels was like that big of a deal and this season he kind of you know was just the same player if not just a little bit worse but come tournament time he's been unbelievable I mean 15 points in round one then 17 points then 22 points against Michigan we're going to talk about it in a little bit 16 points against Houston I think that he's been a difference maker for them. He's been unbelievable. Um, I just really think that when all the Villanova pieces are laid out, they're designed to be a championship team. 
you know, Jay Wright. Well, it's your cookie cutter Villanova team. This is yeah. what you said last week. I mean, yeah. it's very, very standard from this Villanova team, yeah. um, and it's kind of what you expect out of them yeah. you know, nowadays. I mean, the same team. You know, they usually just have you know really disciplined big. They got that floor general point guard. You know, they got that two or three that's like their secondary score, and then they just fit in like those gritty you know two-way guys all around yeah you really good like stretch guys you know you got mm-hmm. a good you know six 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 seven guy that can play both ways and and shoot shoot from the outside and also take a guy inside yeah and i think it's just unbelievable that you know with all the talent that villanova brings in jay ray is committed to um you know his his core you know staying intact i mean they played six guys pretty much i mean uh, archie nakano's brother played a minute and brian Antoine played a few minutes so we'll be interested to see what happens going forward, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Justin Moore was hurt. I have not heard yes. uh, how he's much torn, torn Achilles. He's oh. torn Achilles, so oh. he's he's out indefinitely according to the school. He's he's probably out for the end of the year. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see if a guy like um, you know Brandon Slater can step into a bigger role. Uh, Brian Antoine off the bench can get you some more. Caleb Daniels has been very solid for them past few games, but. Justin Moore's very hard player to replace, so we can talk about that a little bit more once we get to the Houston game. Yeah, totally. Um, but a good, again, like we said, a good win there for Villanova. Not really, I would say, all that surprising. I don't think there are really any big shockers um, on this Thursday evening. Houston, I mean, keeping Arizona as far away as they did, you know, I I have been a Houston hater all year. Um Excuse me, I thought the Ken Palm numbers were bogus. You know, I thought all the statistics were lying to me. Um, and it looks like I should have just trusted it because they absolutely destroyed Arizona. And as much as I love Tommy Lloyd and that story that he's put together down there um, for the Wildcats, um, a 72-60 victory for Houston and a, and a 12-point loss in a Sweet 16 game, um, I think was pretty deserved from this um, Arizona team after... I don't know if you saw it after the TCU game, but the the L dancing and the antics after the game yeah. and not mm-hmm. shaking TCU players' hands like that's so ridiculous and it upset me because I I would ex- obviously I don't know Tommy Lloyd personally, but I would expect a little bit more you know character building out of a guy like Tommy Lloyd. I understand he's a first year coach and I understand these are young kids that are obviously very excited. Um, they've had, you know, they had a great run uh, through the NCAA tournament, but it was unfortunate to see. You know, they, that game against TCU, I would argue, was still one of the best games of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree. yeah, and it was just sad to see it end that way. Kind of left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And honestly, even though I had Arizona winning that game in my tournament bracket, I really didn't want to see Arizona win. Like I just was like, you know what, they deserve to lose. Um, even though Kelvin Sampson was just going to continue to prove me wrong. Um, but yeah, again, Houston, great, great performance out of them. Um, led by Jamal Sheed with um, 21 points. I just, again, you would be surprised based on their resume, um, but they just really, really outclassed their opponents all year. Um, and yeah, really uh, similar to the Villanova one, just kind of kept them at arm's length all game. Yeah, it, it was interesting that I just saw that you know, Arizona never led that game once. Yeah. And the largest lead was Houston's, you know, final dagger, you know, at towards the end of the game. It was the largest lead was twelve points for Houston. Yep. I feel like every time, you know, Arizona got a little bit of traction, um, especially to start the, the the second half. You know, Houston always just had that big shot, or they got a good stop. And they're very team oriented. Um, I just feel like you know they're 
there's not really like a set way that they're going to get their points. It's very, you know, balanced. Um, you know, if, if she doesn't take 10 free throws, you know, um, he has, you know, 12 points and then everything else is a lot more spaced out. You know, I think that this Houston team is very balanced. Um, I like the way that they play. I'm very surprised by them. I was not expecting them to make this far of a run, no, I wasn't if there. any. Yeah. But I mean, we, we both had them losing to UAB, right? Yes, we did. I don't know if that was a blazer high or what it was, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do appreciate what Kelvin Sampson has done. Um, and, you know, that's just like the, the luck of the draw, I guess. You know, Houston, you know, gets the cards that they're dealt, and maybe this will make people trust the computers a little bit more. <laughs> For sure. Because they definitely, you know, these algorithms saw something that the average fan doesn't, I guess. Absolutely. And then the nightcap was a phenomenal game, um, Duke-Texas Tech, and really, like, they're just as frustrating as it is as a, as a Duke hater and a, you know, whatever. Like, all of that. It, as frustrating as it is to watch, like, there's just, there's no holes in this Duke team. Um, Paolo Bancaro led the way, of course, um, for Duke with 22. Um, every single one of their starters was in double digits. I mean, are you kidding me? 22 from Bancaro, 16 from Williams, 15 from Roach, 12 from Wendell Moore Jr., and 11 from AJ Griffin. Like, you can't, you can't beat that. Like, when the other teams, you know, especially against a defense-oriented Texas Tech team that I picked to go into my Final Four, and I picked, I was very heavy on their defense. I thought Mark Adams was... The guy, you know, even though the first-year head coach, I was very um, set on this team. But that was kind of the debate all season was, what's going to happen when Texas Tech can't get a stop on D and they got to go score? And that's been their problem all year. Um, you know, even even behind the firepower, Bryson Williams leading the way for Texas Tech with 21 um, and uh, Kevin McCuller with, three, uh, with 17. Both of them had great nights. Um you know, it, it was tough to see that run in. I was a I was a big fan of Texas Tech this year. Um, you know, I but I just think obviously Duke. It's it's Coach K and it's March and it's you know the end of his career. There's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna be going their way and that you know they're gonna really start playing. Mm-hmm. They're really gonna start to find their rhythm, I think, and they I think they really truly have. Obviously, we'll get to it later, but Duke is one of your four Final Four teams, and I just think that this team is really starting to get into a rhythm that is scared, should be scary to all of those in their path. But if there is anyone that could stop them, I think it's who they got matched up with on Saturday night. So we'll get to that later. But, yeah, again, I unfortunate to see it end um, for Texas Tech. I was a big fan of this Tech team all year. Um, and, again, you know, it just a really great, solid performance through and through from Duke. Um, I think you can't complain. There's, there's not, they, didn't, they checked every box, and I think you saw that in the Michigan State win for Duke. I think you saw that in the Texas Tech win for Duke. Coach K was extremely, extremely happy with his team's performance both those nights. He's very proud of those guys, um, and it was cool to see him kind of show that emotion. Yeah. Um, first of all, like I was thoroughly impressed that Texas Tech was able to pull together some great wins and you know give this hot Duke team a run for their money. Um, you know, I think Mark Adams did exceeded expectations. Totally. Um, 100%. Like, not even just like I, I think it's the expectation that this team was going to get to the tournament, but to get a three seed coming out of the Big Twelve, I mean, I think Mark Adams did a great job. Um, I think it's quite unbelievable, you know, that this Texas Tech team has been known for defense for so long, 
and you know they just like looked like they didn't even skip a beat when Speard left. The defense was always there, and I think that the offense will be there in the future. It's just a matter of you know Mark Adams getting his guys involved and you know playing together a little bit longer. I think a lot of those teams have struggled with you know the transfer portal, coaching changes, totally. um, new teams. So we'll just have to see how that shakes out. Future of the Red Raiders, um, notably um, Terrence Shannon Jr. I've been impressed with uh, him this season. I really like Texas Tech, so I've watched a few of their games. I like McCuller and um, O'Banner and. Terrence Shan Jr. is like probably like my standout guy, and now you know he's in the transfer portal. Um, yeah, you know one of the websites to follow at EvanMaya.com. You know he does like this transfer portal like ranking list, and Terrence Shan's like one of the best players available, and I think that really showed that game. But I didn't think he had a good enough game um, for what they needed him mm-hmm. to have. Um, but I think Texas Tech, you know, if you played that game again, would have you know given Duke a better game. But I just think that this Duke team is. Almost in that, that that level of playing where like nothing's gonna stop them. Um, yeah, they got they got a great rhythm right now. They look, I mean, they look really really good. Like they just look, they look like they feel like no one can beat them. I mean, they got every confidence mm-hmm. in the world that they can beat anyone that is put on the floor in front of them. And I think that's almost entirely Coach K. Like I think he's a huge piece of that. Um, obviously, he's you know almost unarguably the greatest college basketball coach of all time. He has done so well to get this team to where it's at. Um, and I don't want to say it's all credit to him, but it's a, it's a good majority of it is. Yeah. And to add, I've you know, maybe I've felt like a little bit of an old man when I say it, but I've never really been a fan of you know the one-and-done schools because I don't think that they're like proven once you get to the tournament because there's so much of it is dependent on experience, cohesion. A lot of those guys are just there because they're on national TV and you know, put up some points. But this Duke team, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but they are feeling like they're like a seasoned team that's been there for four years. Absolutely, like, it looks like they these guys have played together for years. And it it seems like they're you know they're repping you know like the name that's on the front of their jersey a little bit more than usual Duke teams have in the past. Well, I would say too. I think unlike the teams in the past, even even Bancaro has kind of come back to that. Mm-hmm. that you know team aspect a little bit more because he was kind of seen to be the standout this year and he really hasn't I mean he's been obviously been phenomenal but he hasn't been as standout as I think a lot of people expected and I think that's a big piece of why they've kind of come together as a team where in past years um, especially recently there's been that standout player that's kind of taken over the team and really been the focus of it all so right and I think you know I, I was worried, you know, when Ben Carey, you know, he was like a projected number one overall pick. And then, you know, Jeremy Roach, Wendell Moore, A.J. Griffin are all playing so much better than they uh, were in the start of the season. I was expecting, you know, Ben Carey to, like, step down. But knowing, you know, the way that he talks in post-game interviews and the way he plays, they seem like they are all on the same page, and that's always great, you know, to watch good basketball when Duke is playing. You know, the way that they're known to play, not just – they got two or three guys that are going to the NBA in a few months. Yeah, shouts to, to R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. I mean, that's that's exactly what that was. And like, obviously a phenomenal Duke team, but that was the that was the Barrett Williamson show. So, alrighty, moving on to Friday, Graham, you want to lease off? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Um, first game, you know, we're gonna talk about you know is the Providence Friars and Kansas Jayhawks. Um, you know, Evan might have a few things you know to <laughs> say. You know, being um, you know a big Big fan of the red and blue from Lawrence, but... That's crimson and blue. Crimson, okay. 
That's pretty bright. Right? <laughs> uh, crimson, I think, a little bit darker. Uh, besides the point, you know, we and you and I have talked about this all season that, you know, Providence, you know, eye test and um, computers, you know, they don't really seem like that good. But every single time, um, you know, you pit them to be like this team or that team, and you think they're gonna lose or you think they're gonna underperform, they always, you know, have come through. Um, but uh, the luck of the Friars seemed to have ended uh, today or on Friday. Um, they came out so unbelievably flat, um, you know, scoring 17 points and a half. Um, and I, I don't really, you know, have much to talk about because I thought, you know, the second half they really picked it up. But even when they were scoring, it didn't seem like, you know, they were getting command of this game. Um, you know, Kansas was still taking care of business getting good shots. It didn't seem like as soon as Providence, you know, hit a big three or, you know, got an and one or maybe forced a turnover where, like, Kansas started to, like, you know, get a little bit antsy. And that's why I think that, you know, looking forward, you know, start to talk about Kansas, this Kansas-Villanova game is going to be an unbelievable game, I think, uh, solely because we saw how Kansas handled, um, you know, a team, you know, starting to get, you know, hot and causing some discomfort. Um, you know, they, they struggled to score a little bit, and you know, in the first half. But the second half, you know, they just came down, got a good shot. Everything was calm. I didn't see, feel like, you know, like this game ever got away from them. Um, and I, I was thoroughly impressed with Kansas able to, you know, handle this adversity. Um, Back to Providence, I think it's very impressive. I mean, they were a 13-13 and 13 team last year. Ed Cooley, you know, brings in a few guys, keeps the rest, and I think he did a great job this season. Um, uh, I'm going to be interested to see what this Providence team is like next year because, you know, if I have to see Bynum, Croswell, Durham, Reeves, Watson, Horkler all again, I, I'm, I might get a little bit nervous come Big East play for a Musketeers fan. Yeah, totally. Um, I would say a couple of my big takeaways – I mean, both sides, but Kansas especially. Kansas's defense was so flipping solid the first, like the first half entirely. It was ridiculous. I mean, Providence couldn't get anything going, and Kansas really couldn't either. Obviously, the halftime score was twenty six to seventeen. Um, so clearly, nothing was really going for either side. Um, but Kansas's defense was ridiculous. I mean, every pass was deflected. Every passing lane had a hand in it. Um, you know, every weird dribble was there was someone flying onto the ball. I mean, it was unbelievable the defense that Kansas pulled out. Um, unlike something we've seen, really, I would almost say all year um, out of the Jayhawks. So that was really reassuring to see. Um, another thing I would say with this Kansas team is I almost I hesitate to say this because I can't. I, obviously, you can't have the perfect route, but I think Kansas has kind of had a little bit of every game that you kind of need to best prepare yourself for the Final Four. Um, you know, obviously you had a, a solid win against Texas Southern to get your confidence up. You play a Creighton team where you've got that typical, you know, nine seed breakout star. Arthur Kaluma had 24, was unconscious from behind the three-point line, you know, handled that one comfortably, 79-72. Then you play Providence, a team that really busted you up defensively, also went on a big, I think it was a 16-2 run in the second half to get, to get the lead there, handled that well, got out of it with a good win. And then you come and play this Miami team that, you know, we'll get to it later, but it was a complete tale of two halves. So I really do think that this Kansas team has kind of 
almost been through a little bit of everything. Um, they've been down, they've been up, they've had runs made on them, they've made runs themselves. I feel really good about the experience that this Kansas team has had going into the game, the recent scar tissue. Totally agree with everything you said on Providence. I don't have too much else to add. Um, would just definitely say that, you know, they were... I was obviously being a skeptical KU fan, um, didn't love the matchup, but I think most everyone on the outside looked at the numbers and were like, oh yeah, Kansas is going to win clearly. Um, and it it started to look a little bleak, um, you know, when Providence went on to that run in the second half. I will also say, shouts to the Providence fans, they were unbelievable. They were louder than the Kansas fans by far all night on Friday night. And personally, being Kansas man, I was a little frustrated because I was like, come on, like we're in Chicago, which sure is still eight hours from Kansas City, but that is where a good amount of our Kansas grads are at. Chicago mm-hmm. is a very popular Midwest town for KU grads. I mean, we're a school of 30,000 almost. You know, you should have some, um, a good, you know, sh- you know, a good amount of show there. Um, and Providence really outdid us in the fan department. So definitely... You know, shouts out, shouts to them, and a and a great run for this Providence team. Tough to see Ed Cooley emotional there at the end. That really hurt me to see. I love Ed Cooley. I think he's a great guy. I think he's great for the sport. I think he's great for the team. I think he's great for the Big East as a whole. Um, and seeing him get emotional there at the end was really tough to see. Um, but again, great win by the Jayhawks, and we'll uh, we'll move on with the Friday night um, festivities. Yep. Uh, next game we're gonna dive into is the St. Peter's Purdue game. <laughs> the Peacocks, man, uh, unbelievable! They just keep. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I was so happy to see um, you know them you know win, then win, then win again. Uh, going to the Elite Eight, um, you and I were just talking about this um, last week. If will ever it was the it was the same day as St. Peter's you know took down Kentucky. Will we ever see you know a UMBC 16 seed upset again in our lifetime? Um, and I guess we'll just keep seeing 15 seeds, you know, our two straight years of 15 seeds going to the Sweet 16. I guess this is just the new norm. Um, this is just like perfect, like David versus Goliath, in my opinion, because you have the small St. Peter's team going up against this Purdue team that literally has two Goliaths, right. and, um, you know, Travion Williams and Zach Eady, and, you know, then you put in, you know, Jane Ivey, who's just been unbelievable. I mean, he's like... Inches, inches from hitting an overtime-forcing bucket. That was absurd. Uh, Maybe the Peacock got a little bit lucky on that shot, but the end of the day is that this Purdue team, you know, is made, you know, to win championships, go to Final Fours, you know, with so many good role players. Matt Painter's an unbelievable coach. We're both huge fans of his. And then... Zach Eady and Travion Williams are just two of like the most physically dominant players in college basketball this year. Going up against this ragtag, you know, Doug Eddard <laughs> group of guys. Um, and you know, Doug Eddard was a story, you know, in the the first two games, but it was kind he of he was kind of irrelevant this game. It was kind of quiet. I mean, if you take out the seven free throws, I mean, he you know he ends the game with three points, um, but. I mean, this is what March is all about. I mean, these team guys, I mean, their leading score had 14 points, and then it's 11, 7, 7, 6, 5, 3, 4, like... A little bit of everything. A little help from everyone. A little balance attack. I really enjoy watching this team play. Um, I, I, I just love, you know, March Madness. I mean, I if, if it was all chalk, I'm still going to enjoy, you know, seeing the best teams you know, go at it. 
But when you see like this a team like St. Peter's who I mean, I bet every single one of us had to, you know, look up where they're from before an announcer said it. But I think that's the best part is like now yeah. because of this run, everyone knows where St. Peter's from. Everyone knows their mascot because that's going to be memorable forever. Mm-hmm. And like as much as I think UMBC was awesome, I think people will probably remember this one a little bit more simply because of how far they went, um, how impressive their performances were. I think Doug is a huge piece of it as well. Like mm-hmm. I think people are going to remember that name. Um, so yeah, just just awesome to see. Shaheen Holloway was phenomenal. I don't know if you heard the word, but he is heading to Seton Hall. Um, former player officially? at the Hall. Officially. I believe so. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, let's see if we can find an update. I'm, I'm, I'm almost sure um, that he will be um, headed to Seton Hall. Um, expected to be hired. Apologies. So, not for sure. But um, probably a pretty good chance that he will be uh, at the hall next year, and again, like I said, just just really cool to see kind of that evolution um, moving towards you know the next step for Holloway, um, you know the next step for these players, um, and just really cool to see you know that run. Yeah, as what a if whole. a guy like Eater hits like the transfer portal? You know, seriously, like that, like this changed these kids, these kids' lives, and I think that's awesome to see. Um, I would also say too th- that shot by Jaden Ivy. There was a lot of, I saw a lot of talk on Twitter that was like, if that shot goes in, like, that's why you foul when you're up three. Not in that moment, though. I think that's the one exception. Because if, you, if you're um, if you St. Peter's and you foul there up three and produce shooting free throws, they're going to make one. And then guess what? They're going to put in Zach Eady and Travion Williams to go get a board. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, like, I, I hear the conversation, but no, I think they made the right decision. Um, and not fouling there, and man, that was so close. I saw that go, and I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. It was giving me flashbacks of the one he hit against Ohio State just a few months ago. So yeah, and I think that the amount of like money that's involved in March Madness. I mean, this while we may you know forget about this in a little bit or not talk about it as much, St. Peter's this is going to be a part of their culture forever. And Absolutely. And the amount there will be a banner in that yeah, in that arena. Or the, that amount, gym. the amount. Um, of change that is about to come for this university is just unbelievable, um, and I you know I'm definitely gonna you know follow them and maybe whoever comes out of the MAC next Mac. year because of you know the hundreds of thousands of dollars each of these schools are about to get um, because of this run. So quite unbelievable. Yeah. Well, good work by the Cox and a great win there against Purdue, North Carolina, UCLA battle of the Blue Bloods. Um, a great performance out of UNC and, and more specifically Caleb Love leading the way for the Tar Heels. 30 points. Um, really took care of Mick Cronin's uh, Bruins. And I I can't say I was shocked, um, but a great second half out of them, outscoring the Bruins by 10 in the second half. Um, yeah, any other big takeaways, Graham, out of you? Uh, I really enjoyed this game. This is my favorite game from the Sweet 16, just um, outside of how action-packed it was. I mean, you know, the first media timeout, like, came at, like, 15 minutes because the ball and never went out of bounds. It was just trading buckets back and forth. Um, This is one of those games that I wish both teams moved on just because I love this UCLA team. Talk to Bond. I think Mick Cronin's done an unbelievable job. Um, 
you know, between Haquez and Juzang and Tyler Campbell and Bernard. Like, I just love all these players individually, and I think they play all so well together. Um, I was so, so impressed with how good uh, Jaime Haquez is in that, like, supportive role. Like, you know, he's not going to be the one, you know, taking the most shots or maybe not even getting the most assists, but he really just starts a lot of stuff um, from all over the court. I'm a huge fan of his. I think UCLA is a great team. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to guys like Ju Zhang and Campbell um, and even Bernard to see who stays, who goes, because I just really like this team, and um, I hope that they come back. And then to talk about North Carolina, I mean, this is just unbelievable what they've been able to put together. Um, so quickly. I had them. I had them out of the tournament a, a month ago. Right. Uh, oh, absolutely. Like I was. You like, are crazy. To think about. It. Yeah, I was like, no, they're done. They, they're they're out. After they lost a pit, I was like, this is over. Like yeah. you cannot put North Carolina in the field. And you know, Caleb Love has just been unbelievable. R.J. Davis has been unbelievable. Brady Manick, who you know, some people want to write off because like doesn't look like the most athletic. He doesn't really have like a go-to move, but he just works hard and you know makes the shots that you don't think he's gonna make. Armando Baycott has kind of, you know, brushed off like those jokes that he's just like the big guy who's not really going to make an impact. Every single game that North Carolina has been um, in this tournament has started and finished with Armando Baycott. You know, really, if even if he's not touching the ball, he's causing attention. Um, I think he's just been so, so good for them uh, so far. Absolutely. Um, we'll preview North Carolina a little bit more once we get to our Final Four talk, but they have been really, really impressive. And then wrapping up the evening with Miami, just just really handling um, Iowa State. Um, I, I love the, uh, like we said, the windy, how much do you like wind, windy city matchup. Um, that was pretty awesome. But again, Jim Laranag is awesome. I mean, come on, how can you not love this guy? He's, he's good for the sport. Um, and Miami, just a great... Uh, great performance out of them. Cameron Mugusty led the way for them. He was phenomenal both there and against Kansas. He had 27 that night against Iowa State, um, making the all-regional team there for them. But yeah, Miami, not a whole lot to say. Just did a great, solid game. Um, not gonna lie, I did not pay a whole lot of attention to the nightcap. Did a little bit of pre-scouting. Probably watched the first half pretty closely for Kansas. Um, but I just need to see more Miami. I'd seen Iowa State twice already this year. So not a whole lot to add there. But again, like I said, Laranig is awesome. Um, he was great, and uh, yeah, solid win for the Hurricanes there. Yeah, I would have been happy with either team, you know, getting through, um, you know, you know Miami getting to its first Elite Eight in school history, which is really kind of mind-boggling to think about. Yeah, with a large school like that, I agree, it was a little crazy. Um, but, you know, Landera, you know, back to where he was in that coveted, you know, um, tournament run in 2006 with George Mason, and then talk about, you know, Iowa State, you know, they started off so dominant, and everyone was looking at them like, how is this team doing so well? You know, got a new coach. They were so bad the previous year. Two wins. Yeah. Just want to reiterate that. They had two wins last year, and this team just made the Sweet 16. Um, And then, you know, Big 12, you know, they kind of struggled, you know, traded games in and out. And then, you know, this Miami loss was their first loss in 16 non-conference games. Um, I thought that Iowa State had a great turnaround. I'm interested to see... If, like, this program is, like, going to, like, kind of return to what it was, you know, Fred Hoiberg, or if it's just, like, one of those fluke years. Mm-hmm. They're one of, like, the question mark teams. I think them and Providence are the two that come to mind. Of, Absolutely. Like, what's going to happen to them? For sure, and I agree, and I, I think that's also a really good point because 
like we've talked about before, someone's got to finish towards the bottom in the Big 12. And, you know, who's that going to be? Is it going to be a new team? Is there going to be kind of a change here? Um, is Iowa State going to kind of force some teams on the list? Or are they going to kind of resort back to what they've been the last few years? So definitely interested to see that. Mm-hmm. All righty. Elite Eight time. Um, I'm going to go out on record right now and say that all of these games stunk. Um, <laughs> no, none of them were really that intriguing. Full disclosure, didn't even watch the games on Saturday, so I'm going to let you take the forefront on those. Um, yeah, I was I was out of town. I was up in Dayton, Ohio, um, hanging out with some friends, and I just I kept checking the score. Like I was going to watch, you know, towards the end if they were close, and really neither of them were. Um, Duke handled business. Um, Villanova just, even though outside of like an ugly like statistical performance, still got the got the business done there. Of course, as Jay Wright's teams usually do. And then Sunday was, you know, obviously the Kansas-Miami game, Miami game, tail of two halves. And then for the first time in the tournament, I think St. Peter's looked like a 15 seed uh, to end the Elite Eight. So, Graham, well, let's check the forefront on Saturday's games. I'll wrap up with Sunday's games, and then we'll get into some Final Four preview. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this was, you know, you said that you weren't able to watch this Houston-Nova game. I don't think you missed much. It was <laughs> it was a very um, ugly game, to say the least. Um you know, Houston is known as like this high power offense, so efficient. It was one for twenty from three. It was just ugly. Couldn't really seem to get the lid off the basket. Um, and it was a slow game. Like both teams, you know, weren't really forcing a lot of turnovers or quick shots. It was just very like grinded out game. Um, and I think that in that setting, you know, Villanova is always going to win those games. I mean, if we're going possession by possession. I think that Jay Wright has done such a good job that um, you know they're just gonna find a way to win. A, a key thing to talk about, you know, Justin Moore going down is huge for them. He's been vital to their success all year. I will say that was terrible to see him go down so late in the game too. Like obviously it wasn't enough to where Villanova could really comfortably take him out. So I understand the move. I understand leaving him in, but it was terrible to see him go down so so late in the game. Right, and to add on to that. Uh, you know, when Villanova's without Justin Moore it makes a huge difference. And uh, I hate to say it, but I think they're without Colin Gillespie, too. You, you know, there was talks about him not playing because of the knee injury. Obviously, he's going to play. If he can walk, he's going to be out there. Right. But he was a non-factor in that game. Um, only taking six shots. You know, um, only one assist. Well, like, that doesn't show your playmaking ability. It's just the number of how many shots people make. And in a game where no one's making shots, it's quite an arbitrary number. At the same time, you know, for 36 minutes, I felt that he was just like a non-factor in the game. He didn't really seem to, you know, be involved as he's been in the, you know, every single game that he's been there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I'd be cause for concern being a Villanova fan if I, you know, was looking up against the Kansas team, you know, that's so dynamic with so many different scores all over the place. When two of my main guys are, one of them's out and one of them did not show. I think Gillespie's one of those guys that, you know, when the lights are the brightest, he'll show up. But at the same time, he really struggling in this Elite Eight game versus Houston. Moving on, um, you know, the must bus uh, gets to the Elite Eight um, and meets Duke. And I think that um, if they didn't play Duke, I think we'd be talking about Musselman getting to his first Final Four. Absolutely. Uh, this Duke team really, really took care of business. Um and while you know it was while it was such a change of pace because the Houston Nova game was such a slow 
game of you know missed shots and just going down the other end another missed shot this game was high powered you know offense um arkansas took 62 shots um and had 11 turnovers so that just shows the amount of possessions that they created and duke took 53 shots and had 15 turnovers it was a very fast-paced game i enjoyed watching it um and really you know the main takeaway for me is that you know Duke is playing so balanced and playing so hard that I think they're shaping up to be my um, tournament favorite. I think it will be um, we could talk about it a little bit later on. But I just think that you know when you have such a balanced scoring attack and you're playing so hard at the same time, I think that this Duke team is uh, shaping up to have um, a good you know final few days in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I as much as I hate to say it, I think you know. All signs are pointing to yes for this Duke team right now. So, all right, to wrap up Sunday, um, Kansas was, like we said earlier, flustered in the first half. Um, absolutely. Like, it, it did not look good. Things were looking bleak down 35-29 at the half. Um, I want to know what was said at halftime because Kansas came out blistering hot. Um, unbelievably solid out of them. Um, they opened the second half on a... 20, uh, no, 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 no. Where is this? Come on. Oh, gosh. I should have this pulled up. I know they opened it on a, yeah, 25-7 run um, the first 10 minutes of the second half. Like, that's unbelievable. Um, outscoring them as in, in total 47-15 to in the second half. That's unbelievable. Like, not only were they executing on the offensive end, um, but they were, you know, like, also defending super, super well. Um, it was unbelievable to watch. Really fun to watch, obviously, as a Kansas fan. It was... The game turned when David McCormick got an and one um, to make it a three-point game. Mm-hmm. Um, the crowd erupted. Um, Jim Laranega, you know, intelligently called a timeout. I tries to ice him. He makes the free throw. It's a two-point game. Miami goes down the other end. Steal for KU, full court pass, Christian Brown dunk. Um, Miami goes down, turns the ball over again, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, they had to, they didn't score. So, yeah, turns the ball over again, um, or just a missed shot and a good rebound. But point being, KU comes back on the other end, and Brown hits like a 35-footer um, from three, and like, and then Kansas went up three and really never looked back from that point. So I think that was a turning point for sure. Um and yeah, just just crazy to see that they could just turn it on like that. I mean, it was unbelievable. I haven't mm-hmm. haven't honestly I haven't seen a performance like from them like that since that you know the first half of that Baylor game in Allen Field right, for KU. Right. So it, I mean, they looked so so good. Like I said, very well battle tested. Still a tough game against Villanova coming up. I think people might write them off. Obviously, like you mentioned, Gillespie having some knee issues, um, you know, and then obviously another tough injury with the Achilles there. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of speculation that's going to say, oh, you know, Kansas is well-favored and things like that. Um, definitely worth noting, but, uh, you know, overall, it's still going to be a really tough game. Obviously, Villanova is still Villanova. They've kind of been giant killers for KU as well. They've beat them twice in the past 10 years in the tournament. Um, once in the Final Four, once in the Elite Eight. So, again, you know, definitely worth noting. And both those were, were uh, two other, you know, fellow tough Tough cookie cutter Villanova teams, Archer the one, the Archer Diakono team that went went on to win the championship and then the other one to the 
DiVincenzo team that went on to win the win of that championship. So definitely something worth noting. Um, and yeah, definitely worrisome for the Jayhawks, but also they've had uh, really good performances up until now um, to put them in a really good spot to hopefully take advantage. So we'll see what happens there. And then yeah, not a whole lot on the on the final game there um, Sunday night. North Carolina rolled St. Peter's 69 to 49. Like I said, really the first time that St. Peter's looked like a 15 seed all tournament. North Carolina only beat, only beat them by one in the second half, 31 30. Um, they looked a lot better in the second half because they were playing loose. I mean, after at that point, you're down 19. Might as well go out there and you know give it your all and play some street ball and you know kind of play loosely. So obviously that is what happened and it just wasn't enough for them late, but. Uh, like I said, you know, great run for the Peacocks, and like we said, you know, household names now forever. Um, so really cool to see that, and really cool to see that run in. And then again, North Carolina setting up the ultimate matchup with the nightcap on Saturday night. But yeah, let's let's roll that right into some Final Four preview. Um, Saturday night, Kansas opens as four and a half point favorites uh, in the early game at six oh nine p.m. Um, that is six oh nine Eastern time, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. So yeah, six oh nine p.m. Kansas, Villanova, KU, four and a half point favorites. Um, and then Duke, North Carolina at 849. They will follow that Kansas game. Um, Duke open as four and a half point favorites. So obviously both those games are gonna be ridiculous. This is the bluest of bluey blue blood final fours <laughs> you could ever get. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more other than maybe subbing out Villanova for, for Kentucky. But arguably Villanova's been the better team the last decade. I mean, Villanova has been all over the place um, and, and all the and making deep runs into all these tournaments. So I would definitely say that you know both both sides being um, you know both sides of the bracket being just blue blood solid championship teams. Um, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I think this is probably the most I've looked forward to a Final Four in a really really long time. Like I can't remember the last time I was this excited to see. Both of these matchups, you know, usually one year you got, okay, well, then I got a seven seed playing a one seed. Like, you know, is the seven seed going to somehow continue to roll or is it going to kind of be a, yeah, whatever, mm-hmm. kind of boring game? But no, both these games I think are going to be phenomenal. Kansas Villanova, I think, will be great uh, in its own. And then, of course, the nightcap. I mean, you, it, you can't ask for anything more. Like, yeah. Like, seriously, come on. They're, they're tied on the season series. Um, bad taste in their mouth from last time. Obviously, North Carolina beating Duke. At Cameron Indoor to end um, Coach K's career there in Cameron Indoor. I, it's storybook. It's storybook. It's awesome. It's going to be phenomenal either way. And if K wants to end as a champion, he's going to have to be two really good freaking teams. So I, I'm excited to see how it wraps up. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll do picks here in a second. But Graham, I'll let you kind of give your two cents on both the matchups first. Yeah, I think that it's shaping up to be a great Final Four, uh, namely because you could tell me, you know. If, I, if they had someone like a crystal ball, that um, all either four of these teams are going to win it all, I would not be surprised. I think that all four teams, um, for their own different reasons, um, you know, are poised, you know, to cut down the nets uh, in New Orleans this year. Um, I'm really looking forward to both of these games. Um, you know, to first talk about uh, Villanova, Kansas. It'll really depend. I really wish that Justin Moore and uh, 
Gillespie were at full health just for a better game. Absolutely. I mean, you can only wish for that. I, I still think it'll be a great game either way, but mm-hmm. yeah, you get more Gillespie in there, and this is, I mean, this is a sledge, you know, yeah. a sledge I mean, test. You know, I think, you know, this Kansas team, especially with the addition of, you know, Remy Martin being such um, what he should be, at, at the easiest way to put it, um, I think that they have done a great job of. You know, just finding that cohesion and just having a really good tournament run. Um, Like you said, they have a great, you know, lineup of playing different types of teams, playing them different styles, and I think that they've handled all the games, um, you know, very, very well. Um, You know, going into this game against uh, Villanova, when I'm looking at, you know, Villanova, I would really be surprised if he did it just because he hasn't played in the tournament. But Jordan Longio... Uh, the freshman got a pretty good amount of action, you know, in the Big East and even the Big East, um, you know, tournament. But you know, when you know Chris uh, Archiniakino has not been what they've wanted him to be, especially after Ryan was so good. Um, and then with Daniel's going to have to play a lot more minutes with Moore being out, and uh, who knows if Colin Gillespie will be able to play another thirty-six minutes like he did. I think with a week of time, he should be ready to go. Um, but I'd be interested to see interested to see you know if Jay Ray has to you know maybe change a few things that he's accustomed to you know bring a freshman into play and maybe we'll see someone who we haven't heard of much of from this Villanova team step up. I think it's going to be a great game um, if I had to pick. I think I think Kansas um, just because of how they've been playing. Um, I think that they are more likely to win, but I could see it going either way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I've got Kansas winning that first game again. Like I said. Could totally go either way. You know, I like your. I, I don't like it, obviously, but I, I agree with your scenario of you know some freshman off the bench here stepping up for Villanova. Could totally see that happening. Um, but I do think Kansas will get it done in the end, um, and then we'll get over to North Carolina Duke. Personally, I I think it's got to be Duke, right? Like it just has to be. Um, there's no way Shostakovich's going to let Hubert Davis, a first year coach, and that North Carolina team beat him twice. Um, New Orleans is going to be riddled with Duke fans. I mean, people from all corners of the country coming to see them, mm-hmm. um, see Coach K coaching his final Final Four. Like it, it's, it's going to be such be a hot ticket. It's going to be unbelievable. Um, tickets are currently, according to ESPN, as low as three hundred and seven dollars, and that is without your fees, of course. Um, so yeah, you're looking at probably about a thousand dollars for two tickets ish. Um, yeah, if you give or take a few. So. If you wanted one, if you want to view the court, way more than that, like seventy five hundred right now. Exactly. Still available. Yeah. Um, so, but point being, I've got Duke winning that one, um, and then a Kansas Duke national title. We'll get to that final here in a minute, but I'll let you talk yeah. on Duke um, that first. It, it would have been really cool if uh, Roy Williams was still at. I totally agree, but you know what? I will always say that Roy Williams and coaching, like that, shows the difference between Williams and K. Williams stepped out and said, "Nope, here where it's next up." I'm out. Thanks for the time. See ya. Like, I'll be at the games, but I'm not going to have a foot in what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting any, you know, recognition or anything. And that's just Williams, and that's just Kay. And Kay coming back for that last year is completely unsurprising. Yeah, we've talked about, you know, the retirement tour yeah, all, all year. And I just thought, because I was supposed to send it to you and I forgot, that uh, Coach, Coach K, you know, was asked about, you know, how much this will mean to him and, like, since it's his last year and whatever, and, you know, he came out and said, like, it's just, you know, we're 
you know, we've made it here. We've earned the spot as a Final Four. We're treating this as, you know, any other big game. This isn't any special because of me. And like the but, he, but he and said it, the same thing before the North Carolina game, I think, is my yeah, point. Like, I think it's the same kind of feel. But I, I was alluding to, like, the funny line that he said that the media has made it about, yeah. you know, him's last year. It's his last year. Um, and I, the, the joke was, says Coach K, who made this season about him. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but with that being said, I think North Carolina's done a great job. Hubert Davis has really rallied these guys together, and I think that they are hot enough to take down Duke and move on. But, um, you know, when I look at both teams and the look of what how Duke is just as hot in this tournament, I'm going to have Duke moving on for uh, Duke-Kansas. True blue blood, um, you know, big battle. Yeah. Um, so it looks like we got the same final. Um, I'm... This is such a hard pick. I'm taking Kansas, and this is completely, um, it's totally an emotional pick. I obviously would like nothing more than end, than to end, be responsible for ending Coach K's career. Um, that would be, I would, I don't know, I mean, ending Grayson Allen's career was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> but gosh, man, ending Coach K's career would almost be even any better, especially with, you know, the basketball gods on their side and everything. Um, but I will say one piece, and this is the, the one thing that is actually real outside of my heart, um, that I do believe could affect this game. Whether it's Kansas or Villanova playing North Carolina, or excuse me, playing Duke in the final, if Duke does win that game, or really North Carolina for that sake, I feel that that game is going to be so emotionally taxing and seen as such a big victory for both those schools. These two teams are, are like unquestionably the biggest rivals in the sport, and they've never met in an NCAA tournament game before, let alone to go to a national championship. This is the highest stakes matchup ever in the history of this rivalry. Mm -hmm. And I think that that emotion and that caliber of a game will almost hurt them in the long run because I think no matter who wins, getting that national title, it's going to be really tough to turn it on and turn it up to go win another game against a really, really quality opponent, whether you're playing Nova or Kansas. So that's why I've got Kansas beating Duke um, in my national championship. But again, that's also probably partially... Fairly, fairly heavily a heart pick too. Yeah, but I I agree with your point um, about it being like mentally taxing game, because I know every good coach when you're playing in the tournament or or if you're struggling in regular season, you know one thing you hear all the time is like take game one at a time. Yeah. But once you get to this point, you know it's always back there in the back of your mind that oh if we win you know we're in the yeah. championship. And especially for these young Duke players, this young Duke team, mm -hmm. if you get to that national title and you're thinking if we win. You know, we're doing everything that the media, that the college basketball world, that mm -hmm. Coach K like expects and wants so badly out of the season. That's a lot of pressure to put on these young kids. Yeah, and obviously we don't know what's going on inside their heads, but I think there's two very, very realistic possibilities. That one, they're so focused about getting Coach K to that championship game, you know, envisioning him winning in his last season, mm -hmm. that they won't focus enough on this Final Four game. Or two... They'll be focused so much, you know, being North Carolina for Coach K, you know, storybook ending and all that stuff, that they won't focus enough on, you know, like actually, you know, taking care of business and beating right. them, and then moving on, like, oh shit, we have to play again. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that Duke will still win, and we'll see a Duke Kansas um, game that will be one for the ages. I think that it could be very well one of the best games that we've seen. I think these last three games, no matter... Maybe since Nova UNC, I think it yeah. could be one of those type games where... No, I think I think no matter what, like, these three games, 
Final Four, the both Final Four matchups and the national title, no matter who it is, it's going to be a great end of the season. And I am so excited. We had our Cinderellas. We had our upsets. We had our shockers. We had our big plays, our late shots. Um, but this this is just wrapping up to just be such a such a fun finish here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm really looking forward to this. You know, this is the final four that we all think about. Um, uh, so, I guess we'll just have to see, you know, what happens. I think all four teams are poised and make a really, really convincing case that they're the most deserving national champion this year. But as much as, you know, we look forward to that final four, we got a final four starting, own. <laughs> starting tomorrow. Um, or Tuesday, uh, as, as you'd be hearing this, or maybe today. Um, at 7 p.m., St. Bonaventure takes on your Xavier Musketeers. And then at 9.30, uh, Washington State plays Texas A&M. I'm really looking forward to how the Xavier team looks against St. Bonaventure. Now, for those of you, you know, who aren't really following the Bonnies much this year. Or just the NIT as a whole. <laughs> St. Bonaventure is very senior-laden. Um, if I remember correctly, they start um, a sophomore and three grad seniors and a senior. They are very, very senior lane. They play their five main guys a lot. Uh-huh. Um, they're a very physical team, um, and, you know, they kind of like to play fast, which is something that the Xavier team, you know, should be used to. Um, they get a lot of shots up. And I think that, you know, without Paul Scruggs, you know, we, we might have to, you know, struggle, you know, keeping up with them. So I think we're going to need um, someone to have a really explosive game. You know, this can't be as much as, you know, Nunji and Zach can, you know, really take over a game and get you, you know, 20 points on their best nights. I think we really could use, you know, a Nate Johnson or a Kunkel game where they're, you know, getting in the upper teens, 20s, or even if, you know, a guy like Jerome just comes in and hits, you know, two big buckets down the stretch. Absolutely. I think that we're going to need um, some energy, you know, when once we, um, you know, play St. Bonaventure because they are such a grinded out, but at the same time they're going to want to play fast. They get a lot of shots up. Rebounding is very important against the St. Bonaventure team. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I obviously think that, you know, even without Paul Scruggs, this, you know, Xavier team is – um you know, poised, you know, to take on St. Bonaventure and move on. But I'm interested to see what you think about this game coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am really, really looking forward to it. I think Bonnie's is the perfect, like, mid-major NIT team. Um, they're so solid. They had really high expectations this year. We talked about them in the preseason pod um, oh, and, and a couple, a couple of the early season pods. Um, and they really didn't live up to those expectations. But I still think, obviously, they're a very, very solid team. Um I do think this Musketeer team can can get it done, um, and you know find a possible date with either a Texas A&M or a Washington State there in the NIT title game on Thursday night. We, excuse me, we will be back next week early to again wrap up this Final Four, wrap up the NIT Final Four, kind of put a bow on this season as a whole, and then after that we'll do our our favorite time of year, the coaching carousel and transfer portal pod. And then after that, we'll kind of just be, we'll be on a monthly schedule. Um, obviously both Graham and I will be traveling, going home, summer stuff, all that good stuff. So we'll kind of be out of touch for a little bit, but still bringing you monthly pods to keep you updated during the off season. And then we'll be rearing and ready to go with, you know, 
new big things on the horizon for this podcast. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to this weekend, Graham. I'm. I think it's been great. Um, obviously, it's been a phenomenal season so far, and I think it's kind of headed for a storybook ending. Hopefully, for both the NIT and the NCAA tournament. So, thank you all for listening so so much. We appreciate all your viewership and listenership all year, um, and we can't obviously can't wait for next year and kind of the end of this season. So. Thank you all again. We'll see you next week and see ya.